Matthew 5, verse 10. We'll be looking at the ESV translation. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, as we finish out this uh, section of the Beatitudes, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to be looking at three questions with the to- regarding the topic of persecution. How are Christians persecuted? Why are, or, or, why are Christians persecuted? How are Christians persecuted? And why should Christians rejoice when they are persecuted? So again, we're going to look at why are Christians persecuted? How are Christians persecuted? And why should Christians rejoice when they are persecuted. So the first question here is why are Christians persecuted? As we've looked the last three weeks at these Beatitudes, you would think that a person who was poor in spirit, uh, who mourned over their sins, who was uh, meek, who hungered and thirsted after righteousness, who had a pure heart, who was a peacemaker, you would think that these types of people would, be, would receive Uh, would receive a a great welcome to this world. They would be welcomed with open arms by this world. And so it doesn't make sense that Jesus ended with all these great qualities talking about a Christian then to say, and blessed are you who are persecuted. So again, the question is why are Christians persecuted, especially if they model this type of behavior? Because a beatitude are simply attitudes of a Christian. They're attitudes of the kingdom of God, and it describes what a believer in Jesus should be and how they should live their lives. And so as you look at the, the prior, the previous Beatitudes, you would think that the world would welcome this type of person. But, but yet Jesus says, no, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But notice he, he said here, for righteousness' sake. Jesus is saying that you are blessed as a Christian when you are persecuted because you're living for Jesus. You're living for righteousness, for what God wants you to do and who God wants you to be. That's why you will experience persecution. So the reason why we experience as Christians persecution is because we're trying to live like Jesus. We're trying to live rightly. And this world doesn't quite understand that because this world doesn't like to live rightly. They like to live it up. And so that's the main problem. As you look at the the seven Beatitudes before it, you'll see a common pattern and you notice the word righteousness used two times in these verses of the eight Beatitudes. We see one in verse six and then another in verse 10. The first section of the Beatitudes talk about Christians who are empty spiritually and they need to be filled. Uh, Think about what it means to be poor in spirit, that you're approaching God as if you have nothing to offer. You're an empty hand clinging out to to him to be filled. Uh, Think about those who mourn over their sins. You're, you're, You're grieving over the sins you committed against the Lord. Think about those who are meek. A a person who is meek is, is a humble person. And so the first four Beatitudes, it wraps up with, with one who is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The word righteousness there is used because it describes those who are longing to be filled. And in order to be filled, you have to know that you're empty. And so as a Christian, we have to first know that we have nothing to give, but yet he needs to fill us. 
And when we understand that, then we hunger and thirst after righteousness. The second section of the Beatitudes, the the remaining four that Jesus talked about, he didn't talk about us being spiritually empty. He talked about us being full. And those of us who hunger after after righteousness, we, we know that not only do we hunger after righteousness, but we seek to be pure in heart. We, we seek to, to be peacemakers. That's what we long to do and who we long to be. And as we're being filled by these things of living this way, then we will face persecution for righteousness' sake. So again, the word righteousness is used uh, to describe the first three Beatitudes and then the remaining Beatitudes of Beatitudes uh, 5, 6, and 7. So again, why, why do we suffer as Christians? Because we're longing to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're longing to be like Jesus. And the world doesn't like it. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, the world looks at us as if we have two heads. And I say that because the world would say Christian, or people should live for themselves. They should be prideful. They should be arrogant. They should be self-confident. But yet, what does Jesus say? No, we are to be poor in spirit. The world would say, ah, you don't need to really worry about the consequences of your sins because this life is all there is, so just live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you may not have. Jesus says, no, you need to worry about the consequences. You need to mourn over your sins. The world would say, you know, you need to step on other people to reach your goal. And Jesus said, no, you need to live with meekness, with humility and gentleness. The world would also say, you know what, you just need to live for you. But Jesus says, no, live for me. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for you. The world would say, you know what, we don't need peace. After all, conflict is okay. And Jesus said, no, we need to seek to be peacemakers. So you see the conflict here. Anytime we stand up for truth, anytime we seek to live like Jesus, there's going to be one of two things that happens. Number one, you'll have a group of people that said, hey, this is really good stuff. I, I agree with you. And number two, you're going to have people that say, you're crazy for believing what you believe and for living the lifestyle that Jesus wants you to live. And so that's where persecution comes. Because as we seek to live rightly, as we seek to do what God wants us to do, we're going to meet resistance. We're going to have people in our lives that will look at us like we're nuts. And as Christians, we should expect persecution to happen. We shouldn't go out and look for it, by the way. We shouldn't go out and say, hey, I want to be persecuted, so somebody come and stone me. No. But instead, we should... Be prepared when it comes and expect it to come. After all, it was Jesus who said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What Jesus is saying here is the world hated me because of what I stood for. They didn't quite understand it because they were living in their darkness and they were lost. 
And so just as I tried to walk in the light, or I walked in the light, and he didn't have to try as God, just as I walked in the light, so you must try to walk in the light. And as you walk in the light, then you will meet opposition and resistance. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I would argue that you can't have faith without opposition. That opposition will come because we seek to do what God seeks and not what the world seeks. The second question we'll look at that Jesus addresses is how are Christians persecuted? Verse 11, he describes three different ways in which we are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see, persecution is not outdated. Persecution happens to Christians every day all over the world. When you and I think about persecution, we probably think about all those Christians who were killed for their faith. We think about those great heroes of the faith in our history of people who suffered and and even died for their faith. We could could take all day just talking about individuals who gave up their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. But Jesus also, he's talking about physical persecution here, but he's also talking about persecution coming in many different forms. And he talks about three ways in which we're persecuted. First, he says that we are persecuted when others revile against you. In other words, they insult you, they mock you. The word revile or insult means to cast in one's teeth. It means to to speak out in somebody's face, to bash somebody in front of their face. And you and I here in America, we we don't have to worry about getting beat up for our faith physically, but we might get beat up for our faith emotionally and verbally. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. He's saying, blessed are you who suffer on my account for righteousness sake, you're going to get insults thrown your way. You're going to have people who will disagree with you and even perhaps say harsh things to you. This week I was reading Eric Metaxas's book, Seven Men, and in that book he, described, he, he, he went through a, a biography of Eric Liddell. Uh, some of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire, and Eric Liddell, he was born in China because his dad and mom were missionaries in China. At the age of five, they decided to put him and his brother in a boarding school in London, and that's where he grew up with his brother in this school. When, when he grew up in this school, he, he learned about Jesus and, and committed his life to following Jesus. And then he also really enjoyed running. And he ended up becoming a really good track athlete, a track star. He, he shattered school records that he was at. And he got so good that he ended up qualifying for the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. He qualified to run the 100-meter dash, and the 400-meter dash. His best race was that of the 100-meter dash because he could fly. He was known as the Flying Scotsman in his country. Well, as he got the schedule months before he was to compete in the Olympics, and by the way, the movie, if you watch it, it describes Eric Liddell getting the, the message that he was going to run just a few hours before he was going to race. And that is not the case. When you actually learn the history of the, of the biography of Eric Liddell, he found out months in advance that, that the race that he was going to run for the 100-meter dash was going to be on Sunday. 
Eric Liddell, as a committed Christian, he tried to observe the Sabbath that God gives us, and he knew that that Sunday was a day of rest and worship, not of play and not of work. And so he, several months before he was to run the race, he bowed out of it and said, I got to take my name out of this race. I got to remove myself from it because this goes against my religious convictions of running on the Sabbath. Right after Eric Liddell made this announcement, insults after insults were thrown his way. The British Olympic Committee, they were flabbergasted and outraged when he made this decision. And they tried anything and everything to get him to run the race on Sunday. For example, one of his coaches, he came up to him and he said, "Uh, Eric, by the way, the the race is going to be Sunday afternoon. You can go to church in the morning and do your thing at church and then you can come run. And Eric said, I'm not buying it. Sunday is all day. I'm not going to run this race on Sunday afternoon. Another, another person said, but, but Eric, why don't you hold the continental view of the Sabbath, which means that the Sabbath ends at noon on Sunday. So then you can run the race in the afternoon. Eric said, I'm not buying that. I don't hold that view. I believe that Sunday is all day, and so I refuse to run the race. The British Olympic Committee, they even tried to work out a deal with the International Olympic Committee And they made an appeal for athletes that had religious convictions uh, to to not run on Sunday, that they would make make basically an adjustment so that they would have the race held on a different day. And that International Olympic Committee, they didn't buy it, and they didn't allow it to happen. The hardest thing, though, for Eric Liddell was not the coaches and the Olympic Committee that insulted him and just gave him a hard time, but the hardest thing was the people his friends, and his own people, when they heard the news that Liddell was not going to run this race, they felt betrayed by him because after all, this, this, he was the person to win the gold for them and it would be the first gold medal that they would have in their nation's history. And so they were so upset with him that they lashed out to him and gave insult after insult after insult. But despite all the criticism of Eric Liddell, he stuck to his convictions, and he said, I'm not going to run. And he didn't run. But you know what's amazing? Later on that week, Eric Liddell, he was able to compete for the 400-meter dash. This was not his, his best race, or it was not his best uh, run. But what's amazing is that day when he ran, he ended up getting, he did his very best, and he ended up getting the world record and he won the gold medal. You know, right after that, the following Sunday, you may not know this, but he did not compete in two other races, the four by 100 and the four by 400, because it fell on Sunday. Guess what Eric Liddell was doing the second Sunday of the Olympics? While those races were taking place, he was preaching in a pulpit. He was preaching the word of God. I bring this up because here's a Christian that we can respect and admire because he held true to his convictions. And despite his convictions, he met fierce opposition where he received insult upon insult. You may not know this about Liddell. After he won the gold medal, people asked him to continue to run so he could run again in four years. But he chose not to. Instead, he chose to go on the mission field. And he had great success in China on the mission field. He ended up dying during World War II because a Japanese force ended up Uh, kidnapping him essentially and putting him into an internment camp. And Liddell ended up dying 
under the hands of Japanese enemies. It's an amazing story of Eric Liddell, but when he was in the internment camp, he wrote these words in his journal. He said, have you learned to hear God's voice saying, this is the way, walk in it? Have you learned to obey? Do you realize the tremendous issue that may be at stake? What Liddell said is, have you learned to listen to God's voice? Have you learned to obey the voice? And have you learned that there are tremendous stakes at play when you obey his voice? In the same way, my question to you is, have you learned to listen to the voice of God as you read his word and as you talk to other believers? Have you learned to obey his word? And as you obey his word, do you face the consequences of persecution? Eric Liddell did, and he ended up giving his life for a much greater cause than his own. But the first way that Jesus said that we can be persecuted is by verbal assault, by insults. The second word he uses is persecution in verse 11. The word persecution, it means to chase, to pursue, to harass. This is where I think about physical persecution. And as I mentioned a minute ago, we could spend all day talking about those believers who lived before us who, who endured physical beatings, even to the point of death. If you just think about the, the, the apostles, most of them died for their faith. Tradition tells us that Andrew was fastened by cords to a cross in order to prolong and intensify his agony. Peter was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. Paul was beheaded by Nero, and we know that John, he escaped a violent death, but he died in exile while on Patmos. So again, the apostles, they put their money where their mouth was. They were consistent even to the point of death, and most died for their faith. As Christians, we may not here in America expect fierce opposition in a physical sense. But we do know our brothers and sisters overseas and in various places around the world who are risking their lives by the day. Please don't forget about them and please pray for the persecuted church around the world. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The third way that Christians can be persecuted are when we receive false accusations. In other words, when people talk about us behind our backs, when they gossip about us, when they make false accusations to us. And this is where it makes sense to us in America as Christians because we're dealing with this very thing today in 2022 here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Think about it. People claim that we are out of touch with the times because of our view of marriage. We believe what God believes, that marriage is to be between a man and a woman. And when we make those statements, people look at us like we have two heads and they say, you are out of touch with the times. Shame on you. There's a, a, another group of people that would, would look at us like we're crazy when we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. In fact, Jesus even said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's a a group in our world that looks at us like we're crazy and they say, you're intolerant. In fact, you should be open to other worldviews. You should be open to other ideas. Jesus isn't just the way. There's other ways to get to heaven. And they look at us and they say, you're, you're narrow-minded and you're judgmental. There are others, I think about what's going on with this Roe v. Wade case. Uh, think about it, 
these judges, I hope, and we've been praying for this since 1973. I've been praying since I was a kid. Some of you have been praying since 1973 that this case would be overturned, this unlawful case. Well, now we might be here by the grace of God, and when and if that happens, we need to have a party here when that case is overturned. But think about those justices who are risking their lives and people are protesting in front of their houses. They're falsely accusing these judges. They're misrepresenting these judges. They're speaking slanderous accusations towards these judges. So I say all these things because we as Christians are living in the tension right now and we will continue to live in the tension. But we must be prepared for it. But here's the thing. If you haven't lived in the tension, then one of two things may be taking place. Number one, you might be living in a bubble. What I mean by that is you might be in a Christian bubble. And because of that, uh, you, you really haven't been facing the tension with the world. Because you're in the church, you might be always with Christians. I would encourage you, it's necessary to, to get outside of that Christian bubble and to interact with the world. On the other side, some of us may not be dealing with persecution because we're blending in too much with the world. We're accommodating with the world. And as we accommodate with the world and we blend in, then we don't look any different than the world. And so it's easy for, for non-Christians to look at us and say, well, there's really no difference between him and us. He cusses like us. He drinks like us, like a sailor. He, he makes bad deals like us. There's no difference in this person and me. If you find yourself accommodating to the world, I would encourage you <laughs> to stop. But instead, to stand up for truth in a loving way. Again, don't go looking to be persecuted. Don't go looking for fights. But just stand up for what's right. And I guarantee as you stand up for what's right, you will meet some opposition. You will deal with persecution. Uh, this reminds me of, a, of an example of a man who approached uh, Tertullian, the church father, with a problem. His business interest and his faith conflicted. And he went to Tertullian and he said, Tertullian, what can I do? I, I've got I've to live. And so shouldn't I just make this bad deal? I've got to live. And Ter Tertullian said, must you live? The point Tertullian was making is, you know what? It's better to stand up for what's right and to risk your life than to cave in to what's wrong and not risk your life. And so again, as we think about persecution, we've got to understand that persecution is not outdated and it comes in many different forms. But notice what Jesus went on to say in verse 12 about those of us who experience persecution. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted. What? As I'm getting insulted, as I'm in this awkward tension with, say, family members I disagree with or, fr or friends, why should I be glad when that happens? Shouldn't I be frustrated and upset? Why should I rejoice? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons why we are to rejoice when we suffer. The first reason is, he said in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And this goes back to verse 10 when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
What Jesus was getting at here is you should rejoice and be glad when you are in and living in the tension with the world because your reward is great in heaven. This world is not all there is, but there is an eternity waiting for you. The word great that Jesus used means immeasurably great. In other words, heaven is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. It's going to rock our worlds. And because of that truth, as we face persecution, we have to think eternally, not temporarily. As we're thinking about the temporal, we we get caught up into the here and now. Jesus is saying, don't get caught up into the here and now. Store up treasures in heaven. Do you know that the New Testament mentions rewards in heaven 25 different times? Now, as we try to store up ourselves treasures in heaven, we got to remember that even our good works can still be tainted with sin. But the, the, the graciousness of God tells me and tells you from his word that despite our sin, as we strive to do good works, God still gives us rewards in heaven by his grace. And so as we experience awkwardness and tension with family members and friends that disagree with us, we can still rejoice and be glad. Why? Because great is our reward in heaven. But the second reason that Jesus goes on to say of why we should rejoice and be glad is he he tells us that they persecuted the prophets who were before you in verse 12. In other words, he's saying, I want you to rejoice when you're persecuted because you're joining a greater company of believers who've lived before you and who've died before you. I don't know what it's like for you whenever you join a church or whenever you join an organization or a ministry that you take pride in. I don't know how you feel. For me, whenever I join something that's bigger than myself, I get excited, I get passionate. When I joined the military and I went through it, I I, I felt like I was joining something that was bigger than me. You know, when I joined a fraternity back in college, I was joining a brotherhood that was bigger than me. When I joined the church, I was joining a church that was bigger than me. I was joining a brotherhood and a sisterhood of, of followers of Jesus Christ that was bigger than me. In the same way as we suffer for Jesus' sake, on his account, we are joining a brotherhood and a sisterhood of martyrs who have died for the faith, of believers who've lived before us who are insulted and persecuted. So when Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, he's saying, when you experience the tension with the world and you meet opposition, two things to rejoice over, you're storing up rewards in heaven and you're joining a greater company of believers who've been persecuted before. How are these believers persecuted before? Hebrews 11 tells us. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they, were about, they, were, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. Hebrews 11 is crystal clear that there have been multitudes of people who've been killed for their faith, who have suffered for righteousness' sake. And what a privilege it is for me and for you to be a part of a greater heritage that's bigger than ourselves. 
Blessed are those who suffer, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Keep that big picture in mind. So I want to remind you that persecution is common for us. It is inevitable. And so we should expect it. If you haven't faced it yet, you probably will in the days to come. And as you face it, hold on to what is true, that God is with you, that he's for you, he's fighting with you, not against you. And with God on our side, we're in the majority. And we have an abundance of God's grace and his mercy laid out upon us. So stay strong, believer, today.